Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I don't know why this keeps coming up, this particular story. It's very hard to believe how it keeps coming up year in and year out. All right? It does. Every year this comes up, year in and year out. And the fact that it does, and I'm going to say it straight out, the fact that it does is an indictment. It's an indictment of every single Minister for Education that's held office for the past 25 years. I'm going to call out a list of names. Bat O'Keefe, Mary Hannifin, Noel Dempsey, Rory Quinn, Richard Bruton, Jan O'Sullivan, Joe McHugh, Norma Foley. And back in his own day, even though he did a fair amount for the primary sector, Michal Martin, in his own day, in Minister of Education, he did quite an amount for the primary sector. But the secondary sector, this story has come up year in and year out. Anne-Marie, Katie's due to leave Cara this summer and it's Skull Trieste you want to get her into. God, this is not a new problem. I remember this problem with my boy over a decade ago. This isn't changing. This problem is here every single year. And this year is no different. There is 18 kids leaving the school where Kate is at the moment. And they're all trying to get into the feeder secondary school, which is Skulltriest, for 11 places available. And then we'll have everyone coming else in from the units around Cork. We could have 30 applications for 11 spots. And there's so many families who are going to be so disappointed. The 11th of, the 7th of March is when we're going to get a letter saying yes or no. And if we can't get another placement, we might have only an option of maybe Carrigaline if they open up. If we get no placement, we're offered 20 hours home tuition. That's it. It's not going to work for us. I remember during lockdown when the schools closed, but they said homeschooling. Katie's nonverbal. She will not do homeschool. She needs a structured environment. She runs out to the bus in the morning. She loves going to school. She lives for school. When there was no school, she totally regressed at home. She stayed in her bedroom most of the day. And it was, it was harrowing to watch as a parent, seeing your child go backwards, not wanting to go anywhere. She needs school. Like, the only thing she likes doing is school, the Rainbow Club and swimming. That's it. That's, all, that's her life and driving through McDonald's. 
So like, we need a school placement for her, you know. So every day in my head is 7th of March. I'm on edge to open that letter. And I hope it says yes. But then even if we get a yes for Katie, so many parents are opening that letter and it's a no because the places are not there. They're not there. As a parent, we have fought to get a diagnosis. We have fought to get updated cognitive assessments. We fought to get into the special school. We fight all the time. It's tiring as a parent. Absolutely tiring. But everyone is in the same boat in this country. It's not just a Cork problem. It's nationwide. And it's at every level of the journey when you have someone with special needs. And as your parent, you fight every day for that child out of love. It's all, you know. And it's just so hard when you think we're now approaching February and we just don't know where Katie will be in September. We hope like, we can't say, we don't know yet that she's no place because we're in limbo. We're, we're, our psychology report has gone in. Everything is done and dusted. We're just waiting to find out. And you got the, the report back and, and she's a perfect fit for Trieste. Yeah, we got the report just back Monday. I could barely open it. My hands were shaking so much. I couldn't get to the back page to see, did she meet the criteria? Uh, I, I saw my husband outside after and he was thinking something happened to me, I'd say. I was crying so much that she made it. But it's only one hurdle. It's only one hurdle because she's in the running. It doesn't mean you're going to get a place. And like, I know, like you know, when you, I, Katie's story list of four kids. We have Ryan, he's 10, it was his birthday today. Um, Holly is eight and Finn is seven. They're all in the local school. Yeah. When it comes to them going to secondary, yeah, there is limited. Like People find it hard even to get their the kids into secondary school. You know, they might they mightn't get their plan A, they get their plan B. Yeah. But they have they have options, you know. You, you're limited for options when you have a child with special needs because we have to look at schools that cater for Katie has a, a moderate learning disability. Yeah. So we have to look at school Trieste now is mild to moderate. So that's Katie's ideal fit. Yeah. Other schools, we can't send her there. I was at another school this week. Their list is frozen. Overscribed. That's what you hear all around. You know, you just, there's nothing there. So all our hopes are pinned on one school. And hopefully we might have an option of a second one when they open up applications soon in Carrigaline. Yeah. If we don't get either of them, we're offered home tuition and I'm not ticking that box. Mm. Because if we tick that box as a parent, we're ticking that we have an education for our child. Like, I feel Katie's name is just on a file. She's not a person, you know? Their their files, all the kids around Ireland, their files. Mm. They're not people. They're not looked at as people. Yeah. Not, you know, they don't see the, what what people go through, all the step of journey for their kids. You know, they, they go like it's it's crazy, it's crazy the fighting we have to do, all the time. Yeah. But there, there's just there's no places out there. 
you know. And and I know that Geraldine Bond, still the principal at Trieste, she was when my boy went there as well. Like yep. herself and her team, they're just they're just wonderful people. Absolutely wonderful, <laughs> but like they need they need another they need another Trieste in Cork, you know. Yeah. They need they, the numbers are there for us. Oh, easily, you know, uh, easily, easily, and all around the country, <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 Is Katie aware of the situation? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, Katie's non-verbal. She's high sensory needs. She's anxiety, high anxiety. Um, she's attending the Rainbow Club at the moment now. She goes there once a week in, in Cork. And as she walks into Rainbow Club, she's her hand around me completely shielding her. She's anxiety when she goes places. She loves swimming. She goes regularly. She's well known, mm. you know. She, you know, but like, she adores routine and structure. She loves going to school. She gets out of bed in the morning. She runs to the front door. She's a chair by the front door, Katie's chair. She sits there. She has her breakfast by the front door. And she runs out when she sees the bus. And her smile would light up the room. Her teacher adores her. Her SNAs adore her. Everyone adores her. But it's just so unfair on, on every child who doesn't have options. And there's loads of kids around this country. They're stuck in, in, in say, mainstream uh, the units and maybe need a special school. And yeah. they don't have the appropriate education either, which is a huge problem. Yeah. So we actually, like, I suppose <laughs> we don't know fully yet. And hopefully we we get good news or... Mm. We don't know until the 7th of March. It's ingrained in my mind. There's a few sleepless nights between now and then, I'd say. Oh, there is. There is. Yeah. It's it's on my foremind morning, noon and night. The others are thinking, you know, they know Katie's finishing school and where's she going to be going to school? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. You know, hopefully she'll have a school placement. But time will tell. <laughs> And her confirmation now will be this year and we've communed as well with our daughter Holly and we just hope that, you know, we're celebrating under events that she has a placement in September. Mm. You know, and like I said, there's nothing else we can do at the moment. We've done everything we can and she has her up-to-date uh, psychology report gone in. Um, all the T's are crossed and the I's dotted. Yeah, It's out of our hands completely. It's out of our hands Lighting candles and praying, that's what that's what it is now. Last year or the year before, we had the announcement of a whole bunch of new places, 40-something new places, Carrigline being where most of them were. But again, it's not enough. No, it's a drop in the ocean. That's what it is. They need a lot more all around Ireland, you know? And it's it's the same problem every year. Every year you have people talking to you on the radio about the same thing. Yeah. Fighting for services, fighting for primary school places, fighting for secondary, fighting for help. Yeah. I remember we had respite farms in our kitchen for a year. And myself and Dwayne, we couldn't bring ourselves to... We, it takes a lot for a parent to accept maybe your child, he's got a respite sometime. Yeah. And after a year, we decided it's not only us, it's for Katie. Maybe she'd like to go for a little bit of independence as well. 
Yeah. So we sent off the forms for the respite to get a letter back saying you're oversubscribed. <laughs> you know, so everything is oversubscribed. You know, that's the way it is. It's dreadful for you. Yeah, and like if when you get a place for the secondary school, there's a massive lift, a weight lifted off you. Oh yeah. Because your child is okay till they're eighteen. Yeah. Then you will fight for adult services. That's right. So it's a it's a constant fight. Yeah. All the way through. But that's this everyone knows that story when they're a, a parent of, of a child with any special needs. Hmm. You know? That's not story. just autism. And it's not good enough. It's no, it's not good enough at all. And in this day and age, we should have a lot better. But I, I don't know, when will things change? It'll be the same next year, the year after, the year after. And Maria, leave it there. Um, I know Thanks that you're, you're talking to me while yeah. you're on a break while she's at the, <laughs> the Rainbow Club. So Yeah, and the Rainbow Club are fantastic people. We'd be lost only for them. Take care. Thank you. I'll keep you updated how we get on. Oh, do. And hopefully, hopefully we get good news. Good luck. Thanks very much for taking the call. That's Anne-Marie. I spoke to her in the last few days. 7th of March will be an anxious morning in that house. <clears throat> and the reason I read out that list beforehand is because my son James is 24 now. He's 24 years old. And when he was 12, and when he was coming to the end of his primary school, we waited. We had to sit and wait for a place. He was 12. He's now 24. We had a great school that were able to hold on to him for another couple of years until his place in Trieste came up. But not everybody's that lucky. So 12 years later, I'm talking to a parent who's in the exact same place as we were. In fact, worse, because Casey can't stay in her school after June. So I'm going to read this list out again, starting with Norma Foley and working backwards, Joe McHugh, Richard Bruton, Jan O'Sullivan, Rory Quinn, Mary Coughlin, Bat O'Keefe, Mary Hannafin, Noel Dempsey, Michael Woods, Michal Martin, every education minister for the past 25 years. You have all failed. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. 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 The two grand minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96 FM. And says as someone who has had a child homeschooled in secondary school, his social suicide. Also, you have to organize all the teachers for each subject yourself, so there's no help. You also have to fight to be at home all day for the teachers to come and go. So if you're working, what happens then? The pain in Katie's mom's voice is so hard to listen to. It's heartbreaking. It's so unfair to many parents and guardians. What more do they need to do it? It's a downright disgrace in human injustice of basic needs. And Kate says school makes a huge difference to children with special needs. The department know six years in advance how many children will need a place. They have no excuse. That sums it all up, Kate. They know how many children are in the primary sector. 
they know how many places in the secondary system are required. Antoinette says every one of these ministers have done nothing for children with needs, special needs. They're faceless children to them. Unless parents scream to be heard, nothing will ever change. Our children matter and deserve every chance possible in life. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. Gillian, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? Good. Now, your little lad, is it a thing called Jacobson he has? No, um, it's a chromosome deletion. Um, there's no name on it. Okay. It's just... Well, it's very rare then. Chromosome yeah. deletion. Of, it's, he's one of 30 kids worldwide. Oh, of people, I should say. Okay. Worldwide, yeah. Okay. So when he was born, um, it was literally like 11 days in intensive care and test done and um, they didn't, because he was really, really floppy and yeah. pale when he was born. Sure. And um, he's very hypotonia, but um, he's um, he's only three now in April and he's just started walking. Brilliant. He's non-formal, mm. but um, I mean, everything is a celebration. We started doing the off last week and he's doing the sign for hello. Oh, so it's like, oh my God. Yeah. But um, I suppose I've listening to media for the last couple of weeks and listening to or seeing what people are writing up and what people are saying. I'm actually sick with worry about what's ahead of Ciarán. Um, because he's, I mean, he's starting preschool now or Montessori in September. And we have a meeting now in spring just to see what we can put in place for him. Yes. Um, but um, I worry about him going to school. Um, I mean, I think over the weekend, was it, um, Patrick O'Sullivan had up that the Department of Education and Cork City Council having agreed to transfer a site in Glenmire That's right. for a special he, school. He has it on his um, on his Facebook. He says Twitter, he got con- yeah, yeah. information from the minister and that the site, the approach to it to locate a new special school in Glenmire has progressed to the point where both the department and the council have agreed to transfer the site. I can't thank Cork City right. Council enough, etc., etc. Great news for special education provision but still a long way yeah. to go. A very a long, long way, way to go. Way oh, they've yeah. got us a bit yeah. of hand, for goodness sake, you know? Uh, when, yeah. when, when, I mean, Kiran's going to need a school in the next two years. Yeah, in two years, I was just counting up there a while ago. Um, he'd be starting due to start school in two years' time, yeah. um, in September, two years. But, um, like, I suppose my biggest problem as well, like, or our biggest problem is, like, and with everybody else, like, it's a lack of services. He was doing physio, um, in CUMH and then he reached a certain age and he was putting he got into the community physio yes. and then because he got into co-foundation he was let go from community physio oh, for no he was doing fantastic and but we have yet that was in October and we haven't had a physio session yet we've meeting with the co-foundation team on Monday next Monday and we don't know how we're going to go like we were told by them to keep up with their private speech and language because they don't have enough resources, they don't have enough staff to cover all the kids, which is no fault of theirs. Because yeah. um, we're doing private now speech and language every week, yeah. um, you know, which he absolutely adores, like he loves going in. But um, like I can't understand why the HSC, if they don't have the, the staff in co-foundation or whatever else, like why they can't work with the private sector. Why can't they put funding in and, like, say, pick a um, private 
speech and language and say, are you willing to come on board with us and take on kids from yeah. public lists? Yeah. Like, Portia, port, port, like to do with the treatment purchase fund, just purchase the services, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was today, I might just, from Sinn Féin, and like, um, is it the spokesperson on disability and care is Pauline Tully. She, on the 25th of January, she introduced a private member's bill to make the requirement for the implementation of individual education plans for children with additional needs. And they're the, is it the Epson Act of 2004? That's right. It's yep. the education for a person with special education needs was um, brought in in 2004 and 17 years on. It was never implemented. And it's supposed to be working with the parents or the child to put in place yeah. Um, like help and therapists within the school yeah. but that never and there's sort of the Minister of Education is refusing that at the moment Epson went through in 2004 yeah. Epson went through in 2004 yeah, and, and nothing's been yeah. done nothing, nothing and there's um, the Minister of Education is refusing it at the moment but um, is not due for completion until 2023 so it's, it's like yeah. they look like they're doing something but they're not well, 2023, the damn thing went through in 2004. That'll be 19 yeah. years later. It's not been imposed. Yeah, yeah. It's a joke, really. I can, you know, I mean, I'm just saying what everyone else is saying. You know, with kids, like, you know, they need that extra help. It's not there. They're not getting it. Mm. Um, we're lucky we can, I can stay at home full time. And I suppose that we can afford speech and language. But we can't afford much else, like... I know. You know, he's not getting the needs that he he wants. He's like, no, we do as much as we can with him at home. Yes. And there's only so much that we can do because we're not qualified physios or... Sure, of course. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's a constant worry about what's ahead of him. And it's as you know yourself, like, it's a constant worry. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at it, I just said there, talking to Anne-Marie... I mean, Katie's 12. Yeah. And I remember when yeah. my boy was 12. He's 24 now. We had the same yeah. problem then. And it, it almost beggars belief that parents are still making the same call to me every year. And here you are starting my... out on a long... And I, you know what? My heart goes out to you, Gillian, because I know the road you're headed down. And I know how bumpy it is. And my heart breaks. Um, my brother, no, he's nearly 50. And my mum always says that she goes, it's actually, things have got actually worse. She said, I thought it was bad when I was looking for help. But she goes, it's actually worse as getting. And he's nearly 50 now. Like, I mean, he's fantastic. He's brilliant. Yes. And he's actually Ciarán's godfather. And he's, he hasn't spoilt. I mean, I'm afraid to say if Ciarán needs something, because straight away he's like, I'm buying that for him. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. But um, you know, there was no help back then, and there's no help now. No, no. Oh, Gillian, I'll leave it there with you. I'll leave it there with you. Yeah. I wish you well with him. I wish you well. I, I, it's a long, okay. long, long, hard road. But you know what I'll no. do? I'll say, yeah. I'll, I'll say the same thing to you as I've said to many, many parents. You need to get a degree. You need to get a degree yeah. in being an absolute pain in the arse who will not go away. Annoy them. Kick oh, their tables, yeah. bang their doors, shout at them. Do not take no for an answer. I'm actually meeting him, um, and she said I could say with Susan McCarthy tomorrow for a cup of coffee. Good. Just to, she's going, to see if she's on board to help with whatever help I need or 
Whatever help you we need all people need. who know the system. You, know, you need so? people who know, who know yeah. the system. Yeah. All right, Gillian. Look, good luck to you. Good luck and, and, and much love to your to your wonderful little boy. 0818 96 96 96. If I sound cross, I am. That statement from Padraig O'Sullivan, and look, no, no, no disrespect to Padraig, and he, he's regularly on the show. They've got confirmation of a site, and now the council has agreed to the transfer of the site. And Padraig says that's great news. And you know, it's news, it is news. But how long more will it be before that site actually has a shovel going into it? And how long more will it be before there are children in there sitting at tables and chairs? And I'll tell you what else is, by the time they do get that, there'll be another batch of children for whom there's nothing. 0818 96 96 96. Maybe we should get some fishermen from West Cork to sort this out. Because they sorted the Russians out, you know. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Every year, you join us to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If you need a light to shine it. 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary. Include us in your diary. Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise. You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. So the announcement came at the weekend that the Russians are moving their planned military drills. They were supposed to take place in the very edge of Ireland's economic zone. In the waters there, the very edge of Ireland's economic zone. Which is exactly where the West Cork fishing fleet needs to be to fish in the next week and a bit. And we spoke a couple of times with Patrick Murphy from the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. And at the weekend, on was it Friday, Patrick, we were talking after you'd had the meeting with Ambassador Filatov and you were being a little bit cagey about what was said. Did you know that they were going to move them away? Good morning again. Good morning, PJ. And listen, first of all, I want to thank yourselves and the media and the movement of people, right, nice. that made this possible. We we only raised this issue and without you backing us and putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is to protect our own industry and our own people in the water, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. So that's the start off. Okay. So thanks very much. You're more than welcome. You, you so, spoke up well for your industry, in fairness to you. Oh yeah, thanks very much. Listen, I, I I do it for free, so you know there's no problem there. Listen, PJ, yes, absolutely, that's the issue. And and you know what? Thanks be to God it's dealt with. And everybody's giving Simon Covey a bit of a hard doing. But on Friday, everybody was questioning, is it gonna happen? Will it not? Will it not? And in fairness to our Minister for Foreign Affairs, he put that to bed. You know, he came back and he said, Look, the Russians are moving off. That's what the fishermen wanted, and that's done. So I will criticize the government. Um, every which way if they're not mm. doing the right thing. And I'm going to give you an example of that if you don't mind me but expanding just, this. Just let me clarify. So you met, you met Ambassador Filatov 
You put your concerns yes. to him. You told me how impressed you were with, with, with how much he knew. He then said, because this is what you told me, he then said he had to revert back to Moscow to see what Moscow yeah. would say. And are you saying that in between that happening, Simon Coveney got involved to make sure Moscow said yes? Is that what happened? Well, I'm not sure at the timeline. Look, right. if I was going back in history to do this again, I would be expecting Simon Coveney to give me a ring because if he had done that, and I can take the man on his word, then he should have contacted me because it would have avoided me giving him a slagging in every interview that I could along the way if Fair I knew enough. that he was working with us behind the scenes, you know? Fair enough. So that's Fair communication. So, so now, look... Yeah. It, so back to the ambassador, right? So the measure of that man was proven in his communique to the world. When he tweeted, he didn't have to thank the Irish South and West. Let's be honest, we're an organisation of fishermen in Castellon Bear. For him to do that showed the measure of the man and the decency that is there. So, of course, we trusted him. I felt that from when I met the ambassador, from the way he communicated with us, his body language, the way he looked at us and everything else, he was open and honest. And that's, that's why I was so confident leaving that meeting that we had got a massive movement uh, and that we were, we were on a good patch. You know, that's why we were so confident when we came out. Look, we made a faux pas when we came out. We made, mentioned a couple of words that, that we shouldn't have mentioned. And, you know, we jeopardized it. So that was our hands up moment, you know. Mm. But we weren't the trained diplomats that, that should be doing this. And look, it's a good result. But PJ, look, that's done. I'm telling you that's done and everybody's still on this. But I have three men alongside me here now that's come across the oceans into this country for a job, right? And they've worked here for over four and five years, six years, some of them. And they aren't given the uh, same um, uh, rights as anybody else that comes into the country. And I've one of these lads here on the air and you're getting the exclusive if you want to talk to him. His name is... Agoon. 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 And this this is what we're fighting for, PJ. This isn't just about our fishermen. This is looking after lads that travel all over, just like our people did to America, the States, and all over the world. And I want to hope you'll give me the opportunity to let this lad speak to you for one couple of seconds. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. What's, what, just, okay, okay. okay. I'll, I'll explain it afterwards. Okay. Say hello and tell him you want to. Hello. Oh, yeah. Agoon, Agoon, is it? What, what did you want yeah, to yeah. say, Agoon? Yeah, we want we want just uh, to get a stamp for that because we we sit here a long time and we we try to ask the government, but we need a uh, fast respect. I think so. Okay. So what what's going on? This I think. So. You you want to you want to get your paperwork fast tracked so you can become a citizen? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very good. I need I need a uh, fast respect. That that's right. Okay. Okay. That's because it's just a long time. That's six years we we are here. Sure, and you're working all that time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, Agoon. Put put me back on to Patrick and make him, maybe he can tell me more. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you very much. So listen, that, that's one of the lads that's come from the Philippines, right? And okay. and we're trying to look after these lads. In case, like, so we're always being accused of mistreatment, trafficking these lads and bringing them into the country. And you're the exclusive now. You're the first person to hear it from one of these lads, direct from the pier in Castletown Bear, that we're demanding now at this stage that the government move on this. They did not do this right. They did not listen to the industry and were fed up with this treatment, so, PJ. So, Patrick, just break so it down. we want to change. Break it, break it down for people so what happens? What, what break is the story with so, Okay, so what happens is if you bring in an atypical worker into this country and they work for four or five years in this country, they pay their taxes, they're entitled in after five years to accrue the same rights as any other citizen in the States, right? Mm. But not these guys. 
These men have been here for six years and all they want is the same rights as the Filipino nurses or doctors or anybody else comes into the country. We're sick as an industry being trodden on by governments that won't help us. So there's my point. I will praise this government to the hilt when they do something right, but I will be the first one to come down on like a ton of bricks if they do it wrong. And they better start talking to us because we're not finished yet. We've got a platform now and we're going to use it. We're going to protect the men and women that work in our industry. We've had enough, PJ. We've, we've come to our limit. That's why at our limit, we were willing to take on a Russian Navy. And it stops now. And And... Just go through it for me, Patrick. You 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 compared. So these lads come into the country, right? They pay their taxes, right? And under our laws, if you're here for five years paying your taxes, at the end of that, you accrue the rights of any other citizen in the state. You can get social welfare. You can move on. But these guys are trapped within the atypical worker scheme. You've seen Minute putting out a, a, a report saying, accusing the fishermen of being the ones that are trafficking these people and encasing them in slavery. That is absolute nonsense. We need these people to put our boats to sea and safely and get proper numbers of crews on board our boats. Why would we mistreat them? Sure. And anybody that's mistreated him, and I'm on the record of this, sure. when a company did this to Gannons, I was the first one out to condemn him. Absolutely. Yeah. I was a fisherman myself. Right. You know, so, and so I know what scheme, it's like and, and the difficulty. There, there's a scheme. The atypical worker scheme for fishers. I got you. And it's not right and it's not, it has to be fixed. And we were told, oh, by the immigration, sorry, these lads don't get it because we didn't bring them in as necessary workers to start off with. They were here beforehand. Yeah. So we just regulated them. And I've been on to ministers. And now I gave them every opportunity to do this right. And I was speaking to them and they re-evaluated the atypical worker scheme. And they said, look, we're going to do this for you. Uh, pa- but they Patrick, Again. Patrick, bear in mind now that many people that are listening to this don't don't fully understand. So, you've been this is this scheme allows them to have certain rights, and yes. they can't get onto it. What, by what minister? No, they're in the scheme, but the scheme is broken. It's not fit for purpose. What ministers have As you spoken was, to about it? Oh, uh, Minister Brown and Minister um, Damien English. And we spoke to Heather Humphreys, we spoke to Ed McEntee, right. Mr. Flanagan, uh, McCon- Charlie McConnell, okay. Michael Creed. This is going on for years. Like This is ridiculous what's happening here. And the industry is being tarred with the brush that we're the traffickers, we're the ones abusing them. And uh, it just happened that these lads were coming into the office this morning, PJ. And there fr- there's three lads here now on the pier for me like that are going out to sea tomorrow. And all they want is the same rights as anybody else. They want to stamp for. They want to be able to choose whether they stay in the atypical scheme or go on a, a share contract the same as any other Irishman. They want equal rights and equal opportunities. That's our slogan. And that's what we want for every fisherman. And I'm delighted I've had the opportunity on your show to break this story. And what steps are you taking to help them? Like what? what? We redesigned it. We sat down with the government. We said, here's the cures. Give them an amnesty. Give them their stamp four. You can bring this in. Change the law to suit them. Yes. You know, we're not we're not asking for anything special. We're asking for the same rights for the workers in the fishing industry as you see in the beef industry. The lads and, that are brought and, into the avatars. About, about how many guys are involved, Patrick? Well, we've around 180 boats left in the fleet, right? Soon to be decimated to 120, but we try and avoid that. So you give two or three lads per boat, right? So you're talking about four or 500 lads, you know? But I've had representatives now from the likes of Brendan Byrne coming on to me and the aquaculture, Theresa Morrissey, who also want to bring this skilled labour into that side of the industry, into the processing side. We're finding it very hard to get people to work inside the industry. We've such a bad reputation. But these people want to come over here just like the Irish did. 
start a new life, support their families better at home because look, two or three dollars a day is what they get at home. Yeah. They, this this is a real step up for these lads, yeah. but they want the same rights and privileges as as they should get as anybody else that comes into the country. And we're going to fight for this, like and, and having this so uncertainty around them, having this uncertainty surrounding them, like does that threaten does that threaten the industry? Oh, absolutely, sure. Look, we as I said, we've been accused of trafficking these guys. Okay, I'll, I'll try and explain it very simply. Yeah. Under the scheme, PJ, right, they come into the country, they we sign contracts, and they're here for a year. Then they have to be repatriated. So just to give you an example of what went wrong. So during COVID, some of these lads told the skippers, listen, I don't want to go home. I'm afraid to go home because uh, uh, I could get COVID, right? Everybody was fearful. Sure. But while they were here and stayed on longer and did get an extension, their passports ran out, right? right? Now, we all know how difficult it is with passports. So imagine this is what happened now. This is the madness of it. So these lads got onto their consulate. They flew uh, one of the consulate officials to Dublin to meet these lads to get a new passport. But they could only get a passport extension for a year. Right. Now, listen to the madness. So they got their passport extension. We went to the immigration offices and said, here you go, lads. And they said, uh-oh. There's a problem here. And we said, why? The contract is for a year. It'll take us 90 days to process the application and his passport will be out of date. So we're not doing it. And you know, that's, 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 just, that's just so typical. So do you know the fix? Here's the fix. The fix is, is that you start the contract on the date that the passport starts. So you'd say to them, listen, just do all the paperwork, but it doesn't come into force until it matches the day of the passport. Isn't that a simple solution? It makes absolute sense to me. And you know, Absolute sense. Patrick, and this what, is the problem, PJ. There's mm-hmm. nobody listening to the absolute sense. And you know, I've been reading newspapers, foreign newspapers, for, for years, talking about how awful the exploitation is in the Irish industry. I mean, here you are on the show defending the lads. So that kind of puts a lie to that one, doesn't it? Absolutely. And as I said, PJ, I wouldn't do to a dog what's happened to these lads in this country. And the reason why I'm delighted to be on your show to say this is because I don't understand when we raise this that we just can't get it on air. But look, that's the word of one of these lads. There's three of them in front of me now. I'm telling you, like, Paul Byrne is here now with the camera for TV3. Maybe he'll turn around and he'll pan him into view. But they're here. They came, they stopped fishing. They wouldn't go out fishing until they met me today because they're at their wit's end. They cannot progress with their lives. So, so, so basically, what it is, runs they're out here... They're, they're skilled yeah, workers, so, they want to work, yeah. they want to stay, yeah. there's a scheme yeah. that allows them to stay, but that scheme is broken. It's broken. So here's the thing now, if, they're, if their passports are out, if they don't go home and remove the passports, they can't do it from here. They're caught in a catch-22 situation. We take them on board then. The way I described it to the ministers is this. What they're doing to the Irish fishing industry, right, to do the same to our diaspora in America would be this. They'd ring up the president of the United States and they'd say, listen, do you know any fellow out there that's hiring our illegal Irish? Do you? Yeah. Prosecute them for trafficking. That's what they're doing to the fishermen here. That's the bottom line of it. Criminal stuff. Do you know the first thing they will say, well, some people will think, Patrick, but sure, aren't they taking jobs from our own? But that's not the case at all. No. That's not the case. Absolutely not. Anybody that hears this show that wants to go fishing, give me a shout. Anybody that wants to go out on the boat or go fishing as a career, any young person, give me a shout. And I'll help them every which way that I can personally, night and day. 
because we need young people to understand that this industry is worth fighting for. Our people need to know that this industry is worth fighting for. You know, it is a worth it and it is good for our country. Mm. We see the, the trouble in the Ukraine. Let's let's bring this back to reality, right? Okay, okay. okay. If we if, if 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 the Ukraine thing starts, right, and there's a, there's a, an actual war in Europe, it'll completely disrupt the trade lines, as we've heard about the ships being in the middle, it'll go back to the likes of World War Two. Like a war is a war, like, and they're going to hurt each side until madness subsides, and we ha- and we come back to realism. We stop killing each other. This is this is history. So I, I hope we prevent that from even starting. But like we see, the price of fuel going up, food will go up. Wouldn't it be madness that we go back to a scenario where we don't have a fishing fleet to catch food to feed our people? that could be cut off from Europe because we're not joined to them by land. So what's our greatest asset? Fishing, food production in our own land. And we're talking about destroying that, you know, because, you know, the carbon footprint is 0.0003% of the world's emissions. So we have to wipe out our agricultural industries. People have to stop and think about the madness of what we're doing. And at the same time, if they look at what we're doing in our industry, we're changing our nets, we're recycling plastic, we're going to recycle our nets. We have a company called Rio now that's in Jakarta. We're signing a, a, a memorandum of understanding with them about taking all the plastics we're bringing in. Instead of putting it into landfill, we're going to make sure that it goes into different products, recycle it, full recycling. Nobody has to ask us or tell us what to do with our industry. Yeah. We're there first. So, all these lads I'm looking at here invest everything they have back into their boats, making it better. Like, you've so, seen the documentaries we've made, and, and we're fighting hard to so, keep it. So just lastly, to, to, to sum up, because time is catching me, Patrick. So we're yeah. here today now. The Russian thing has been sorted out. And you're here today with your yeah. workers, your overseas workers. They need regular... Yeah. Uh, you have a platform right now. Who are you yeah. asking to help, and what do you need them to do? We need the Department of Marine, the Department of Justice and the Department of Immigration to stop kicking the can around between them, get into a room with us, sit down and don't say we can't be a part of this. We need to be a part of it. We'll work it out with them. We have the legal expertise in this area. We work in Brussels. We watch all the regulations. We're at this night and day, PJ. We're not just fishermen. We are educated people that know what's going on. And look, we pointed out the flaws of the penalty point system. That's an all-legal system. That was a hybrid law that was brought into this country that doesn't marry up with our constitution. Like, if somebody gets murdered and the murderer goes into jail, he get a life sentence, eventually he'll come out. But the penalty point system that we have, you never get out of jail. If you get enough penalty points, the license is taken off you. You can never get it back. Your boat is destroyed. Now, that's been extended to the skippers. So if a skipper, right... Gets through, and these are crazy for the penalty points. Like you don't have long enough for this, but just just say he gets enough penalty points to lose his creditations. He can never get him back. Yeah, it is a true life sentence. He can never again become a skipper. It's absolute madness. Yeah. And it's just one of a number of problems. And you've highlighted two of them there now, Patrick. In fairness, the 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 paperwork for the foreign lads and the, the penalty points system, which I know one or two of your colleagues explained to me over the years how how crazy it's after getting. Patrick, thank you, and you're you've really impressed listeners here this morning. This is Patrick Murphy from the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. They beat the Russians, Eds. They beat the Russians, and now they want to sort out the people that the foreign newspapers accused them of exploiting. Here they are in the opinion line, wanting to sort them out. Thanks, Patrick. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM has a shiny new phone number. 0818-969696. Save it to your phone now. 0818-969696. The number you need. Hello? For Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. The... John Kettle project team were on to us. I should have done this earlier on. My apologies. Motorists are advised to expect delays all morning on the M8 southbound. Motorists are becoming familiar with the new layout. It follows the opening of a new bridge yesterday as part of the Dunkettle upgrade. Adjustment of the traffic signal timings will be continuing during the morning and that will minimise delays over the coming days. And there has already been one minor accident there this morning. But a lot of change happening at Dunkettle. So the project team were just saying, give it a bit of time. We will sort it out. It will all work out in the end. Everything will be fine. Uh, on special loads of stuff on special needs. Uh, I could read them out all day long. I'll get back to some of them in a little while. Lisa wants to say hello to a, a guard. I'll do that in a minute. But this one came in from Sean. And I'm, I'm a bit baffled by this. Uh, just another, another issue, Sean says, with the driving license service. Uh, they won't take cash now. I mean, now, cash, it's all it's card only. Now, cash is still legal, last time I looked. And my 17-year-old daughter doesn't have a bank account, so she had to leave. It's a crazy situation. Yeah, I, I, I was out Saturday night for a couple of pints with a, a pal of mine, and I was in a pub in the city centre. I won't mention which one. And I went up to the counter... And I had 20 quid, a 20 euro note in my pocket and I called around and I put the 20 up on the counter. And if I'd produced a knife, your man couldn't have looked at, looked at me differently. I said, it's cash. You're using cash? I said, yeah, I'm using cash. I said, I might use my card or my phone later on, but I've got some cash in my pocket right now. Can you... Ah, oh, yeah, no problem. We take cash. <laughs> it's almost as if you'd forgotten what to do with it. It's gas. 0818969696. Now, I want to talk for a little while about resilience. And I want to talk about resilience with Lisa Nolan. Lisa uh, is or was a nurse and midwife and, and left working in health, quit working in health, uh, and developed into a, a very successful coaching business called Aslan Coaching, where she focuses on and concentrates on resilience. And and how we can all, I think, Lisa, what you want to say is it's it's within us all. We just need to know how to tune it up. Is that it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, delighted to be here. Yes, that's exactly uh, my. I have I have three key messages for your listeners, and that's the most important one actually for anyone listening who may be going through a challenging time at the moment. And that is that you have everything you need within you to be resilient. I promise you, it may not feel like it, but you do. Now, define resilience to start off, Lisa. 
Sure, yeah. Um, so if you look up resilience in the dictionary, um, you'll probably find two meanings. And actually, I find that it does, uh, bearing in mind that it means something different to everybody. Everyone has a different perception of resilience. But the two definitions, the first one is uh, the ability of an object or substance to spring back into shape or elasticity. So it's bouncing back or returning to the same state before the stress. And it's really in relation to an object. So that's what a sponge does. If we squeeze it mm. and let it go, it returns to the same shape and form. In humans, though, it's different. So firstly, because it's not always that easy to bounce back. For some people, in my opinion, getting up and getting dressed in the morning is being resilient. Mm. And secondly, even if it's not easy to bounce back, we are capable of more than returning to the same state we were in before. There's no no doubt that coming through challenges makes us stronger. It doesn't feel like it at the time, and it doesn't mean we have to be grateful for the challenge. But afterwards, it's very empowering to stop and look from a helicopter view and acknowledge that we are stronger, wiser, more mature, more knowledgeable we have a higher degree of self-efficacy and hopefully confidence in our ability to handle whatever's thrown at us in the future. So the other definition of resilience in relation to us as humans is, and there's three parts to this. So to successfully adapt to stressors, maintaining psychological well-being in the face of adversity. So if we look at the three elements of that, the first one is to successfully adapt to stressors, which means adjusting our sails when the wind changes. In real life, that means not being too rigid in our mind about how things are going to pan out. Mm. It means being open to having to change our plans and go with the flow instead of fighting the current. Um, the second part is maintaining psychological well-being, and that means keeping a positive mindset, but it also means getting help to do that if needed. So you'll notice it doesn't say you have to do that on your own. If you yeah. need help from friends or indeed a healthcare professional, Ask for it, get it, accept the help. Do you know, do you know what you mentioned there about, you know, um, things changing and, and adapting to that. Mm. And I think yeah. to hopefully we're at the back end or close to the back end of this pandemic now. But if you look at it for over the past two years, Lisa, one thing that we've mm. had to come to terms with is not really being able to plan anything. Yes, because you would right. get you're, you're the best laid plans of mice and men, as it were, were repeatedly torn up and thrown back in our faces, and that became very hard. And it came to the point where people just stopped planning stuff. That's right. Um, and actually, there's there's two elements to that. One is that I know that psychologists who are watching how we're responding to the pandemic are saying that the people who will emerge from it in you know, good enough mental health with less likelihood of depression are those who maintain a flexible mindset every day. Now, that's really hard because we all like to have some kind of plan. It's very hard to have it constantly changed, you know, outside our control. Um, and, and the you know, it's, it's not to say that, you know, if we become unwell, you know, mentally unwell, that depression is the fault of the individual, far from it. But no more than breaking a bone in an accident is our fault. But it's good to know that we, what we can do to help ourselves as much as possible to emerge from this as mentally and physically well as we can. So that's keeping an open mindset as much as we can. But there's actually another element as well, which um, I sometimes, uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing resilience workshops, I go into the different, different types of stress. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some stress hormones that we actually need in our bodies. They're, they're essential for the functioning of our bodies. And they mm. get us up in the morning. They help us to respond when we see an injustice. And that's, that's kind of the good element of stress. 
Then there's really, really bad stress, stressful moments like, uh, you know, a fire or a car crash or somebody has been diagnosed with something. And hopefully they're not happening too often. They sort of punctuate our lives. Mm. Um, and then there are the the days when everything that you touch drops and they're kind of, you know, you go out in this puncture and you drop your phone. You know, those days when yes. everything you touch, you know, falls. And You have a clumsy fact, day. It happens to us all now and again. Kind of clumsy. It does, exactly. And actually, researchers, physiologists know that those are the days that actually impact on our life, our quality of life, even more than the big stuff that happen. Because when when something big happens, particularly here in Ireland, and, you know, we're very good at looking after each other. Um, you know, everybody, you know, rot- rotates around and is around you when something bad has happened. I've yet to have my neighbours rock up to my door with a plate of you know sandwiches and lasagna when I've had a puncture. We have to manage those days ourselves. Yeah. But actually, in terms of the pandemic, what uh, what I could see was that actually we were going through those big, uh, you know, what we call crucibles when you feel melted a few times every day. It's not just sort of every once or two years. We were facing health challenges, uh, you know, business challenges, worried about the economy, worried about jobs. Mm the total uncertainty of it. So I suppose my message there is to be, you know, when I said be more forgiving, I think I mentioned be more forgiving of yourself on the days when, as you said, you might feel clumsy. You know, it's not that you're being clumsy, it's just you're having one of those days. But the fact that we have been going through these big, big events several times every day and every week for the last two years, we really need to be really kind and forgiving to ourselves um, around that. Mm. Come back to the message we started with, that everybody has everything within them because I think it's there but you need to find it and it's it's different levels in everybody so so how can we learn that well it's one of the reasons that I love working in this area because it's so easy to access the tools Um, so everybody has I mentioned everybody has everything they need within them to be resilient so we don't need a certain personality type we don't need a particular level of IQ we don't need a certain education. We don't need our lucky pen or, you know, the lucky charm or money in our pocket. We carry it with us and we don't leave it behind when we leave the house. So we're born with a complex and sophisticated physiology. And when it's all working properly, it's a system of pure genius and beauty. And our brains and bodies are on our side. They work best for us if we take care of them. Mm. We just need to know how to harness that physiology. Um and, you know, there are a couple of models that I that I use. One of them is based on uh, on 21 aspects of life, 21 areas of life. And I've divided them into cornerstones and pillars of a resilient life. So like in masonry, the cornerstones are the stones against which all other stones are set. Mm. Um, the pillars hold up the roof. Now, if in a, in a building, if one pillar is, is not maintained and allowed to crumble, the others have to take the strain and they may not take the strain, the roof may cave in. When you look at the pillars, there's there's the likes of physical health and mental health. They are the things, physical health for sure, I mean, we have to eat, we have to drink water, we have to sleep, you know, otherwise we die within a few weeks. Mm-hmm. The other pillars that we tend to let drop off the table are things like fun, building up our energy, renewing our energy. Um, we tend to sort of sleep. Sometimes we tend, tend to borrow from sleep time. We swap it out for something that we think is more important. But actually all those things, including fun, are as important as everything else. So they're the cornerstones and pillars um, of a resilient life. And the other model that I use and I recommend, and there's, there's a brilliant book about it called Micro Resilience. That's the approach. It's the model called Micro Resilience. 
And micro-resilience is a set of tiny changes in behavior that take seconds to implement mm. and have immediate en- impact on our energy and our grit. And I have lots and lots of practical, free and immediately implementable tips and tools for this and for stress management. G- give me, give me one off the top of your head. People. Give me an idea off the top of your head. Absolutely. Well, um, maybe if I go to sleep, um, because in fact, so say if I just went straight in with a curveball, uh, if I mentioned uh, drink driving, it has become so socially unacceptable now that most people will bristle when they hear it and, and maybe even be triggered by it. But in fact, one in three of us are operating our lives, sometimes our cars under the same conditions as a drunk driver, because that's the number of people who are sleep deprived. They reckon that sleep if you miss out on two hours of sleep a night, that's the equivalent of having three beers. And yet we'll carry on driving, we'll go through our day and, you know, trying to struggle through that. Sleep deprivation was a factor in the disasters in Chernobyl, Three Mile Island and the Exxon Valdez disasters. Um, And of course, smaller disasters occur in our own lives when we're chronically tired, like we're irritable, we have negative thought patterns, we might catastrophize. um, And actually, over time, it does significant harm to our cardiovascular and and immune and reproductive systems. And we usually don't prioritize it enough. So two quick tips I'll give you. One is to be aware of your circadian rhythm. This is the 24-hour cycle that all living beings go through. Um, Now, when, when we are noticing that it's dusk outside, the light is failing, there's a little, what I call a button behind your eye that reads that and sends the message back into the pituitary gland of the brain saying, look, it's coming towards nighttime. Mm. The pituitary gland then will release melatonin, which is the sleep hormone and helps us to sleep. That process takes about two hours, but it's disrupted by the likes of, you know, working late, using screens, all of that. So if you're having trouble falling asleep, be aware of your own circadian rhythm and maybe try and reduce that. That is why we tell our kids, put away your phones before nighttime, don't be taking yeah. them to bed. There's, there's, that's the science behind it. I'll give you one other tip that actually I... Is that like saying, game. sorry, sorry, Lisa, like yeah. there were times there of an evening, and I, I'm the world's worst for this. I will stay up watching mm-hmm. another episode of a programme or reading yes. another chapter of a book. My body is screaming at me, Peter, would you go to bed? Yes. And I need okay. to listen to that Here. voice. You do, yeah. So your body, if you listen carefully, your body will tell you what it needs. Um, now, the the reading the book might be okay, depending on what you're reading, as long as you're not stimulating your your brain with you know something related to business. It usually should be something that winds it's usually down. fiction. Okay, excellent. But the, so then the thing is to listen to your body. Yeah, your body's screaming at you, and um, your melatonin has kicked in, and it's trying to help you to sleep. That it's it's a very Sophisticated, like I said, sophisticated system. It's very hard just for us to sleep during the day unless we're absolutely exhausted, but it's very hard for us to stay awake all night as well. Mm. And this is because of the hormones. And if we work with it, it works much better. I mean, people who live in areas of the world where there isn't technology and streetlights, uh, they have very um, low rates of sleep yeah. deprivation or insomnia, you know, because they go with the rhythm of, of nature and the light and their own bodies. Yeah. Also, you say practice what you do. In other words, if you're a boss or if you're a member of a team and you're saying to someone, go away and rest yourself now and go away and take some time, and then they see you tearing at next day, the next day's work when you could actually be at home yeah. walking, doing something simple like walking the dog, you're not giving the right example. No, exactly. And, and that's, that's something that I say to people a lot is that if they're carrying a lot of responsibility, 
it's not just their right to look after themselves. It's actually their responsibility to uh, to role model it for everybody else. It's no good telling your teams to look after themselves if they see you working, you know, through every lunch and burning the candle at both ends. They feel the pressure to do the same, no matter what you say, and you won't get the best out of them. So that's one reason that it's really important that you as a leader or a manager um, or even if you're a leader in your home or your community to role model it for everyone else. Um, and also so that you're brain and body are open for business and able to solve problems and handle the crises that that come in. Um, so it's it's there's a multi-million dollar marketing campaign for the last number of years around it's your right to look after yourself. It's your right. Mm. But I say it's beyond that, it's your responsibility. Mm. Um so that so that you're giving and leading from from an abundance of your energy, not the dregs of a dry well. You know, it's really important to the, the important and I think another thing we learned in the pandemic was one, the importance of self-care, but two and more importantly, the realisation that self-care is not selfish. Exactly, exactly. For those reasons, it, it's it's your responsibility. If you are, if you carry a lot of responsibility, your people are looking up to you, looking to you for advice or answers. If you are working in a fast-paced environment where you have to make quick decisions on, on the hoof, um, you really, really have to look after yourself. Our bodies are brilliant, but... It's no good to say, well, I'll rest at the weekend or I'll sleep when I'm beside the pool, you know, in Spain in June. Our bodies are not like that. We have to look after them every single day um, and f- give it the best fuel we can get our hands on. Sleep every day because you can't swap sleep time. You can't borrow from sleep time because you can't ever make it back. You can't ever repay yeah. it. So when we look after our resilience and our well-being and our mental well-being in, you know, through good times, it serves us really well then. Uh, in difficult times yeah. when we don't particularly feel resilient but actually we are something else you you quote something uh, from your own time in nursing was that mm. pain was what the patient says it is which is something similar to a piece of advice that a, a producer friend of mine gave me a number of years ago about talking to people it's it's my sore finger it, it might be very trivial to you but my sore finger is my sore finger and it's very important to me. And stress is the same. It doesn't matter what's stressing you. You're stressed. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it was a good thing that was drilled into us from nursing um, because it meant that it, it parked any judgment immediately and you just treated, you know, you addressed the person with where they're coming from in that moment. Um, and I believe with resilience is the same. You know, like you said, it's not anyone else's place to say, well, why are, you, why are you stressed? You have nothing to be stressed about. Stress, as the same as pain, is what the person says it is. And their struggle to be resilient facing that stress is what the person says it is. It's not for anyone else to disregard or invalidate. So it's another part of the puzzle in terms of um, being more forgiving of ourselves, but also kinder to each other as well. Yeah. Something that we discovered a lot of listeners over the past couple of years, Lisa, who were talked to us about, you know, many of them struggled an awful lot during the pandemic. And many people told us about how they felt down and depressed mm. and, and they really struggled, particularly with lockdown. And then another huge cohort of people were people who got on with it, who had a fairly robust mental health at the best of times, but felt flat. And that was the word we mm. came up with, just yes. flat. And I was, mm. you know, you, what do you do in that feeling where you're kind of sitting out the window, looking out the window going, is this all there is? That feeling yes. of flat 
as if someone has just driven over you. Yes. That's hard to pull yourself out of. It is because it's it's constant stress. There was never really any let up from it. Um, I suppose there's two things I'd say about that. One is that um, I sometimes talk about the bank of resilience, that if you've had a particularly stressful day, you have to ramp up the replenishing of your energy at the end of the day, you know, in relation to that, in proportion to it. So the more stressful your day, the more you have to look after yourself, you know, uh, in in that evening. And that doesn't mean in front of Netflix eating chocolate. It means really self-care for your... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Your body um, and your brain... Um, and the other thing I would say is that, uh, in fact, to be very cautious, I'm, I'm always very cautious to say that resilience development or resilience, you know, focusing on resilience is not a replacement for clinical therapy if clinical therapy is needed. Yeah. It certainly helps it and and will get, you know, it, it are good habits to build for when you come out of the clinical therapy, but it's not a replacement. So if somebody is feeling very low for you know any, any healthcare professional would say this if somebody's feeling very low not themselves things that used to bring them joy that don't bring them joy anymore over a prolonged period of time they need to go and, and ask somebody about yeah. it and what can be difficult is to find the words to say that it's very easy to say i fell and i broke my leg but it's very hard for people to go into a gp or any healthcare professional and know what to say particularly because they may not they may have disordered thinking so what I always say is what you go in with is I just don't feel like myself. Yeah. And any healthcare professional will take it from there. So it's just to be aware of that. That And also in the same way, we, we always say it around mental health. If you fall and break your leg, that's not your fault. It has happened. You need treatment. You can't diagnose yourself. You shouldn't diagnose yourself, you know, around having mental ill health any more than you would diagnose a broken bone or something else. Um I mean, an orthopedic surgeon doesn't operate on his own hip. You know, it's 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 really important that you go and seek professional help. And there are there's so many options out there, not even just medication. There's so many options for boosting our mental health and and treating conditions now, or or um, you know, any any sort of mental ill health now. That there's no reason at all in the world not not to go for them, and and the sooner you can, possibly the the better, the easier it can be to to treat it. Yeah, and um, yeah. that's what I would say is just that, that caveat that it's not a replacement for clin- clinical therapy, yeah. and if you need it, please go and get it. Yeah, if you you know you have aslancoaching.ie is your website, Lisa, and a lot of people can yeah. find out an awful lot more about what you do there. Come here, I watched. 
just before I let you go, I watched yes. a fascinating TED Talk of yours. Uh, okay. The, you were... I, I, and I watched it twice, actually, because I went back through it again. I said, I need to see that a second <laughs> time. Would you talk to me about it some other day? Yes, I would love to talk to you. You're the one. I often say when people say, I saw your, your TED Talk. I say, you're the one. Thanks for watching. <laughs> yes, I'd love to talk to you about it another day. Because it was very interesting. For... And it was about about your time in, in medicine and about, you know, yeah. one of the reasons you got out of it and how you think that we should maybe treat each other better. You learned from that experience that we should all treat each other better. And here's how we do it. That's right. And... I don't think I learned it straight away. I mean, it happened a long time ago yeah. and it took a lot of reflection and actually a lot of speaking to other healthcare professionals about this issue, you know, about, about what I spoke about in the TED Talk, um, that that is still happening. It's quite a silent um, problem, but uh, none of us are any better for it. Uh, it certainly doesn't help patient care. It's applicable to all sectors. Yeah. So well, uh, it's well, really well, What I'm going to do is I'm going to encur- encourage people to watch it and you, and you and I will talk Brilliant. again because it's a fascinating TED Talk. And Lisa, thank you for being with us. Lisa Nolan, Aslan Co- Coaching is her website. But if you want to, look, there are thousands of TED Talks and thousands of TEDx Talks. And Lisa used to be a nurse, midwife, but something happened. Something happened while she was working one time. And it changed everything for her. And it's just, if you just go into Google or whatever thing you use, go into Google and say Lisa Nolan TEDx. Lisa Nolan TEDx. And it'll come up. And it is a fascinating TED Talk. You will watch it a second time. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Here's a nice one from uh, Lisa. So, just wondering, could you please thank an outstanding Garda based in Douglas Garda Station? His first name is James. Myself and my sister went to the cemetery in Douglas last night to visit our mother's grave. It was dark when we got there, so we're deciding outside, will we or won't we go in? That was until James passed and told us he'd come in with us. And he came right with us up to our mother's grave. Such a lovely, kind-hearted man. We really appreciated that so much. Say thanks a million to him for us, please. That's done, Lisa. Thanks, James. Decent skin. 0818 96 96 96. And I've read uh, both... Uh, Blinding Lies, the first book, and Amy Cronin's second book, Twisted Truth. But the change this week, I think, Amy, is Blinding Lives is going into the bookshops in paperback. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good. Now, Blinding Lies came out last year, wasn't it? That's right. Um, And it came out on Kindle and this week it's going into bookshops on paperback. You're quite right. Yeah, yeah. I did get an advanced copy from you last year and I read it and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I literally devoured the second one, Twisted Truth. But tell tell me about your start writing books. You literally just decided to do something to pass the time during lockdown, was that it? Yeah, but I've written all my life. I've I've always dreamt of being a professional writer, I guess, a published writer. Um, I started very young, always scribbling away with stories, um, quite an active imagination, PJ. And um, 
During lockdown, I guess there was a lot more time on everyone's hands in a lot of in a lot of ways. But I did start Blinding Lies when my youngest child went to school, and that was in September 2019. And I found a kind of um, an opening chapter for Blinding Lies in a laptop, and I had written it years ago. I still thought, oh, there's something here, and I started it, and then. When COVID kind of started rearing its head and everyone realised, oh my God, this is serious, writing took on something else for me then. It became very cathartic. It was something I did to take my mind off the news and the COVID numbers. And I felt then when it was finished that, do you know what, I have nothing to lose. I'd never submitted to a publisher before, but I had never really finished a book before either. Mm. So I just, I sent it out there and I hoped for the best and I was thrilled then when Poolbeg got back to me with a three-book deal. I was delighted. Yeah. It's the story of Anna Clark. She works in a guard yeah. station as a clerical officer. She compiles reports and she she kind of gets obsessed with the statistics a little bit. And, and, and She does. And then she hears of an old friend who's caught up in a murder mystery and she cannot, yeah. she cannot resist reaching out to help and it all gets but it's it's I love that it's set in the city and I love that as you as you read Amy I can see where we are yeah it's wonderful and it initially I tried to set it somewhere else because there are very dark themes in the book and I I was felt very protective of Cork and I didn't necessarily want to base it here And then every time I tried to imagine somewhere else, I just kept coming back to Cork and I thought, no, Cork is perfect. It's it's a city of of light and dark. And that's mirrored in the book and the characters. Um, There's so much character in the city and so much familiarity for me that it was easier to write. So even even when Anna is um, meeting her friend Miles at the fountain on the Grand Parade, it was just it just anchored me into the story and I do hope then the readers will be anchored as well. Oh, literally. I mean, I'm, and when I read books based in Cork, I'm very critical. You get the geography wrong and that's a tick against you. And the, ge- <laughs> the geography yeah. is, is, spot, is spot on. Again, there's another mystery in Anna's own life as well in that her yes. parents disappeared when she was just a kid and she yeah. kind of wants to try and solve that mystery and is half afraid to try at the same time. Yes, and I think it very much shaped her character. So you mentioned that, you know, she couldn't help but try and help her friend Kate. And that came from this strong sense that she needs to write an injustice. Um, So the mystery of her parents' disappearance after an accident is always just burning inside her head. And then it drives her forward. And I think as well... um, the control element of Anna. She loves numbers. She loves reports and statistics and numbers are safe for her. They do what they're supposed to do. Um, They're logical. And I think this is a way in which she tries to counterbalance the huge lack of control she felt when her parents disappeared. So that element of the mystery really conformed her character that you read about in Blinding Lies and it drives her forward as well. Yeah, I think it'd be great on the telly, Amy. I do as well, PJ. 
<laughs> I'd love to see it on TV. She'd make a great um, three-parter I, along the lines of Smother or something or a four-parter, wouldn't it? You know, I love that. I think it would be great. Yeah, sure. I, I can only agree with you, really. I, know, um, yeah, yeah. I, do have a, I do have a few people in my head as well and I, I really see Angeline Ball um, in the role of Elise Taylor, the detective in Blinding Lines. Yes. Um, I really see that. And, you know, I see... Emma Watson, who played Hermione Granger, that's her most famous role. But I, I see her for Anna, you know, like she's kind of petite and she doesn't look like she's, I suppose, dangerous. But yeah. and that's the way Anna is, it's you know, she's one, written though, off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's just written off by people. Um, but she's quite gritty and determined and doesn't give up. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. Look, we can dream, PJ. You know, it's great. And it, as I said, it's I'm, I'm always, I, I love to support Irish writing. And I, I've said this before and I've said it again. And I had the pleasure of meeting you down at the Spike Island last year when with other writers there as well. And I said this, so Catherine yeah. Curran was there and, and, and others. I said, Irish women, I think at this stage, are writing some of the best crime in the world. They really yes, are writing some great yeah. crime and really, really great writers. And this can this can take its place right up among them. And if anyone wants a good book for the holidays this year, it's one of them. Twisted Truth, will that be in paperback soon? It will, yeah. Um I don't have an exact exact time, but that's the hope. You know, the yeah. last the last two years have, have taught us that, you know, things can definitely change very quickly. But please God, Twisted Truth will follow Blinding Lies into the shops now soon as well because And is the um, third one written yet? It is. It is, Peter. Because <laughs> I can't wait to find out what happens. I know. Well, it is written and it's still on my computer and I have to send it to Poolbeg for their approval. Um, but look, I'm sure I can get you a copy as soon as it's approved. Um, yes, it's been great fun, you know, and I didn't I didn't know it would be three books initially. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but there's too much in Anna's life to That's cram right. it into one book. And I don't think that does any story justice either. Mm. But I do also love a series myself. I love to get invested in a character. Yeah. Um, and I like I really love the Rebus novels. And I feel that when I pick up a new one, regardless of the plot, I know I'm going to love this book yes. because I love this character. You, you had the characters um, formed in your head, yeah. Yeah. I do, and it's safe territory as a reader because uh, some plots get very dark, but you're rooting for your character and you know that, you know, they'll have their ups and downs in the book, but the character will hold true. So yeah. I do love that Anna has three books because um, I think she's a fascinating character. Okay, listen, good luck with yeah. the, 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 the paperback of Blinding Lies and I can't wait to read Thank the you. third one. Cheers, Amy. Thanks Thank you, very PJ. Much. Bye, bye. That is uh, uh, Amy Cronin, Cork writer, based in Nohar, from Nohoval. And she's written uh, Blinding Lies, followed by Twisted Truth, and a third one yet to come. And trust me, trust me on Blinding Lies. If you're passing any good bookshop anytime soon, trust me on Blinding Lies. It's a great read. And we have talked a few times on the opinion line about the cost of retrofitting houses. And the Green Party in particular, but the government in general, would love us all to retrofit our houses to bring them in line with climate change targets, I guess. But the cost of it, and we've analysed it and we've looked into it, and even with the best of the grants that are available, and even if you get your hands on every cent of grant money that you're entitled to, retrofitting 
the average home is eye-wateringly expensive. And whatever way the Green Party or anyone like you try to dress it up, it is eye-wateringly expensive to try to properly retrofit your home. But maybe there's another way to do it. Kevin McPartlin is CEO for Fuels for Ireland and the Alliance for Zero Carbon Heating. Kevin, good morning. Morning, PJ. There is another way to heat our homes without costing an absolute fortune to retrofit, is there? There is, and also to to uh, reduce the carbon emissions, because that's, let's be frank, you know, there's no, there's no denying that there is a, a climate emergency. There's no denying that we need to decarbonise. There's no denying that as a as a, a country, we have uh, signed up to, to, to be carbon neutral by 2050. What we also need to do is make sure that people can still get to and from work and drop their kids to school, can you know, live their family lives and the businesses can operate, and that homes can remain warm and comfortable and that water is heated. And up until now, the uh, government policy to decarbonise home heating has really been um, you know, on one track only, and that is to push the uh, transition toward air source heat pumps. And as you said in your introduction, they require for for most homes uh, quite a significant um, level of structural work, you know, to to what they call the deep retrofit, to bring them up to a a high energy rating. And the average cost of that, according to the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, is €56,000. The average grant is €15,000. So where do we get the 41k from? Um, and what we're suggesting as the Alliance for Zero Carbon Heating, which is made up of Fuels for Ireland, the companies that, that provide oil, uh, uh, UKIFTA, which is the representative association for the companies that deliver home heating oil, and Oftec, which is the representative association for boiler manufacturers and services, that if we can change the fuel mm. which people who are using home heating oil are using to eliminate, uh, or initially to reduce and ultimately to eliminate uh, carbon emissions, then we can do the same work right. in terms of climate change without having that massive extra expense, but also the massive disruption to a home that's required in all of that deep retrofitting process. Yeah. So you would effectively, f- and if I'm oversimplifying, I know, or am I, you effectively fill the oil tank with something else. So what else? Yeah. So um, there are a number of advanced synthetic, sustainable, and biofuels that are emerging coming onto the market some are already on the market in fact we have a very good proof of concept in the in the transport fuel sector so if you fill your car up uh, with diesel seven percent of that currently is a biofuel if you fill your car up with petrol five percent is currently ethanol and we, 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 we're looking to increase those too but specifically in home heating we're looking at how those biofuels could play a role being blended in and, and, and ultimately replace the fossil fuel element entirely and we have commissioned a report from ACOM, who this global consultancy, uh, very, very highly credible in this area. And they have found that if we were to replace the kerosene, which is currently used for home heating oil in Ireland, with a 50% kerosene and 50% biofuel blend, we would uh, reduce carbon emissions by the same level, or actually slightly higher, than we would if we were to um, install a heat pump. So mm. we're saying that those, yeah. So, and, and right now, there's 80,000 homes in Cork who are using home heating oil. And, and despite my funny accent, North Cork is home, Donnerail. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think of all, 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 my, all my family and my cousins and aunts and uncles, hello to them all, uh, who, who are heating their, their homes with, with uh, oil right now. And for them, 
the the you know moving to a, a an air source heat pump and all of the expense and all the disruption just isn't a realistic prospect right now. Yes, but it is a realistic prospect to say that they can continue using the boiler that they currently use, the radiators, the whole system that they currently use, and just actually swap what they put into the system out. And we think that's a really strong. Um, way forward to help decarbonize the heating sector in Ireland. So, is there actually a product that's in barrel at the moment that can be put into the into the tank? We're, we're not quite there, and it's not that the technical um, capacity doesn't exist because there are people, including um, a number of, of cork firms, um, who are who are trialing this. You know, there's a, there's a couple of good uh, boiler manufacturers down there. Um, and so, it, it's well established that this works and it can be done, but actually the taxation system and the regulatory system in Ireland right now means that it's uneconomic to actually deliver this. So the, the purpose of talking about this right now is to say to government, if you have a lot of uh, tax duties, levies on on liquid fuels, which are designed to discourage people from using fossil fuels, then you can't apply those to the biofuel element. So we're saying you need to look at the taxation system. You need to look at the allowances that go into the various different energy schemes that would actually make it possible for us to put this on the market in an economic way. And you mentioned kerosene. Uh, now, I, I, my heating is gas-fired, so I've, I've, I've never had to buy heating oil, but I, I know it's quite pricey. What proportion of your kerosene is going off in tax at the moment? Oh, well, it's... Uh, yes, I mean, all liquid fuels right now are pricey, and there's, there's any number of global socioeconomic elements to all of that um and because the core price of the of the of the um the raw product is changing constantly it's difficult to give you a definite figure it's easier to do that with road transport fuels okay, right um so so rather than i'm not trying to avoid the question but, no. but to give you the answer if you buy a liter of petrol today at around 176 177 in some places uh, about a euro of that is going to the government in the forms of various different taxes it's ninety nine cents ish. Okay, right. Yeah, and 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 look, and, and, and I mean that ties into the point I was making about how we tax these fuels to make them realistic. So the government has not just this government. This isn't a party political thing, but over a long period of time, we have been told that by increasing the cost of fossil fuels, you'll disincentivize people from using them. You'll discourage people from using them. We'll reduce our carbon emissions. And it's just not true, because in reality, I don't know about you, PJ, or your listeners, but I, I don't drive for fun, and I don't heat my house for fun. I drive because I need to get places. Mm-hmm. I heat my house because I need it to be warm, for it to be comfortable. Um, and, and there isn't a lot of discretion here. Mm-hmm. It's not like if you increase the price of fillet steak, somebody might buy sirloin steak, or if you increase the price of turnips, they, they, they might buy carrots. That's not the reality here. So, so we have to recognise that just keeping on loading on extra charges, extra duties, extra levies, extra uh, taxes, does nothing to decrease the need for these these products right now. Yeah. So, a, t- a tax deal, as it were, on a fifty percent biofuel product would be essential to make it affordable for people. Exactly, because what we want to get to the stage is where people can make that uh, environmentally friendly choice without it costing them a huge amount of extra money. And, you know, we've seen from the lack of take-up of, of, of the grants for the deep retrofits that you have to make this work economically too. Uh, so so we, we just need to get to the point where it is economic to put this stuff on the market so that it doesn't cost more for my, 
aunts and uncles up in Donrail to 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 fill their tanks mm. um, with a fifty percent biofuel blend. Uh, because that way we can have dramatic impact on the greenhouse gas emissions from the country. Yeah, and the, the cost, it, it's got to be a lot, of, a lot cheaper than retrofitting to start with. How Absolutely. close are we to have it, having it possible, Kevin? How close are we oh, to... It, I mean, it's, it's completely deliverable. It, would be, we, you know, it could be on the market within a few months if the, uh, if the regulatory and taxation system was, was, was put in place for that was to happen. And, and to be fair, I, this isn't being overly critical of, of government because... I'm not sure they were aware that this option was available to them. So they have pursued this heat pump um, policy, you know, with, with I think, limited effect. Uh, but I think now we, we're coming up to them and we're saying, listen, this is the contribution that we can make and also the contribution that oil consumers can make. Because I don't think there is anybody, or at least no sensible people, who are blind to... Mm the urgency of addressing this as an issue. Sure. So everybody wants to do the right thing. Sure. But, some, you know, we have limited capacity to, to, to make these choices. We're trying to make it easier for people to do that. All right, listen, we'll talk again, I'm sure. Kevin McPartland, who is CEO of Fuels for Ireland and the Alliance for Zero Carbon Heating. A cheaper way to go about it. But the tax, the tax. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Question number nine. What is the main ingredient in guacamole? Avocado. And boat race is cockney rhyming slang for what? Quickly. Face. You're saying face? Yeah. Paul O'Connor. I hope you're going to put a smile on your boat race because you just won That's a little bit of pressure taken off for January, I hope, Paul. Oh, jeez, it is. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> hell. Stacking up the cash. 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 The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day on Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yes, yeah, instead of stuff coming in on the need for special classes and special places for kids, Graham on Twitter says if it's a special class place that's needed, then Norma Foley could do it using Section 37A of the School Admissions Act. But she doesn't. She refuses to do that, thereby abandoning students and their families and denying them the right to an appropriate education. They pay lip service and nothing more. That's Section 37A is a power vested in the minister where the minister shall tell a school, you shall open a class. You shall take on. It's not you can if you want to. It's not we'll give you the money. You shall take on these kids. And the power is there and it doesn't get used. It does not get used. Peter says they don't give a toss. Why should they? They get way too much money and they're not dealing with it themselves. They're living a great life with big money. Uh, Yeah. And Tom says isn't it sad in a well organised country that people admire we have mothers crying every year for the help of the government for places for their children. It's a disgrace and nothing seems to change. And a lot of love in the room for the fishermen 
of West Cork. Um, listening to the fishermen on the discrimination their foreign crew members encounter and the unnecessary block to work permits could we just let them run the whole damn country? Very practical people who don't do BS. Thank you for that. And Councillor Ted Tynan was on to say, I'm glad to see Minister Coveney behind the fishermen now. Back along, he wasn't so keen on their interests when they were fighting the kelp farm that he was backing. 0818-969696. I wonder is punk rock still a thing? I was never a big punk fan. There were a few classic tracks over the years, all right, that I would have played and I would have bought the albums and I would have... Nowadays, I had them on my Spotify and stuff like that. But is punk still a big musical genre? Well, there's a punk festival coming to Cork. Yes, a punk music festival coming to Cork in March, 19th of March, at Spalpeen Fawnock. It's called the Relapse Punk Festival. And Kira Hayes is from Relapse Promotions. Kira, good morning. Hi. How are you? Good to see you. Good to talk to you. Um, you too. Now, punk, is, is it still as big as it once was? Oh, absolutely not. No, no. Um, it, it probably never will be as big as it was again, but we can hope. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the punk scene in Ireland especially would be quite small. Um, Dublin still has somewhat of a scene and there are a few bands from Cork and it's it's not as big as it once was in the rest of the country for sure. Yeah. You, you always knew who the punk rockers were because they dressed by type and you'd see them coming a mile away and they'd frighten you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They'd frighten you to look at them, but most of them were just harmless and they were out and it was a bit of a, a bit of fun for them. And I remember the 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 time of the sex pistols and all that. Like the it was it was it was mad times and they were just having fun, most of them. Yeah, they're the nicest people you could meet. Like this this music scene has done so much for me personally. Like it's it's like its own family in many ways. Yeah. yeah. Um wouldn't change it at all. Yeah. So what bands are coming for the festival? So it's being headlined by Volpines from Dublin and they're a duo of two women and they're kind they're not even a punk band to be honest. They're more garage rock kind of post grunge, but they would they would do a lot in the Irish punk scene. Sure. Um and then uh before them will be the Nils who are from Dublin. Uh there's Audible Joes who are from Cork. Yeah. I'm sure some listeners probably yeah, know them. Know um Audible Joes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then there's Job Seekers, uh, 12 Gauge Outrage. I believe 12 Gauge Outrage are from Wicklow or Wexford, one of the two. Right. There's Hashmaker, who are also from Cork. Uh, they're kind of more of a doom metal band. Yeah. Uh, there's a Board of Earth from Dublin, uh, Grindcore. There's RPC from Cork. Death by Washboard from Dublin, Folk Punk. Uh, Water Dogs from Death, Death by Washboard. <laughs> All the precautions <laughs> they're they're fantastic. They're great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's Parker from Derry, and then there's Fifty Foot Woman from Limerick as well. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It's and it's on at the Alpine Pondock on on the nineteenth of March, which is Patrick's weekend, and it's it's just a day long thing. It starts at one o'clock and goes on till very late. Yeah, uh, it should end at about one in the morning. Um, I didn't even realise it was on Patrick's weekend <laughs> until you said it there. Um, 
But yeah, it starts, doors are at 12, first band will be on at half 12 and then it'll go on until about one in the morning, I'd say, when Vulpines are finishing up. Sure. How How is the music scene managing to reboot now after COVID? I mean, you can go back out and have a gig now. I was in a pub Saturday night, there was a band on. I was in, actually, it was, there was a massive band on in, in one of the pubs in town and it just felt great to have music back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think I think a lot of musicians are nervous about it, though, in case we were to go back into another lockdown or anything like that. Um, the way I see it, it could kind of go one of two ways. It's kind of going to take significant damage or there's going to be a complete renaissance of new artists and bands. Because I, I know a lot of people who would have taken up instruments over lockdown and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it could either be really, really positive or really negative. But we'll hope it's the positive. Yeah, there was a lot of, like you said, a lot of people decided to learn learn an instrument or perfect their music or change the genre of music that they were involved in. And they're just itching to get back out there and play live. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I only managed to go to one gig last year. I think it was a Halloween. It was an Audible Joe's gig, actually. And it, the atmosphere was just amazing. Yeah. Um, the restrictions were very light around that point. And just seeing everybody back in a room, enjoying themselves, listening to live music, it felt so foreign, but like, yeah. it, it was amazing. Like, everybody was just so delighted to be there. And I think it's going to be that way for a long time. I don't think we'll take these things for granted for a long time again. Yeah. Are there other elements to the to the uh, Relapse Festival other than just music? Is it just band after band or are there other elements? Um, so when we originally started the first variation of the festival in Limerick, um, during the break in the middle of the day, we'd have poetry performances and that's coming back again for um, Relapse. But we also have um, some stalls where artists are going to sell or display their work and we also have a swap shop for vintage clothes. Um, and we're working on one or two other things, so like we'll we'll see how they come to fruition. Excellent. All right. Listen. Good luck with it when it comes around, uh, Kira. And uh, good to have you on the opinion line today. That's Kira Hayes from Relapse Promotions, the Punk Festival, Relapse Punk Festival, coming to Spalpeen Fawnock on the nineteenth of March. I know one man who will be actually interested in this and might even tag along. I could I could kind of see Mick Barry TD wandering in there. I don't know if you he'll wear the pink trousers that he used to have when he was a punk rocker, but <laughs> he's a big, he was a big punk rock fan in his time. Was was um, was our local TD McBarry? So maybe he'll pop in there on the nineteenth of March. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Speaking of music being back, I was out on Saturday night. So I was in town for a few jars with a pal of mine, and. We popped into the Oliver Plunkett and they had a band playing upstairs and I, I remembered these guys, oh, it was a few years ago now obviously when things were back before all this COVID nonsense ruined our lives. Um, Hell for Leather. Oh my God. If you were in there Saturday night, you know what I'm talking about. What a gig, lads. What a gig. And it's great to see live music back. 0818-969696. Quick reminder to you, our Premier League live show with Trevor Welsh, powered by TalkSport. It's taking a wee break at the moment for FA Cup and for the, the league winter break and all that. But they're back this Saturday, the 5th of February, which, uh, sorry, the 12th of February, which is Saturday week. They're back on Saturday 
the 12th of February with live commentary from all the big games that day. The Premier League live online with now stream live Premier League action with the now sports and sports extra membership. It's your sports on your terms, streaming only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturdays back again on the 12th on the Corks 96FM app or just go to 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM has a shiny new phone number. 0818-969696. Save it to your phone now. Save it to your phone now. 0818-969696. The new number to call Corks 96 FM. Quick mention for someone I just came in earlier on and I completely forgot it. Sister Colette Hickey, the founder of Adele House. And she's still hale and hearty, coming up to the age of 104. And her birthday is in the next week. So we say happy birthday to Sister Colette, who has been known to listen to the programme from time to time. Sister Colette Hickey, a heroine, founder of Adele House, 104 in the next few days. From someone who's 104 to someone who's only just turned one. You remember last week, Dr. Niall Conroy was back on the show from Queensland, talking about packing up the job in Queensland and coming home to settle back in Ireland and he was telling me about his little boy Bo uh, who they were trying to get their first passport for Bo and they applied like months ago to get Bo's first passport and we were having a bit of a slag in here I said if anyone's listening in Simon Coveney's office and if anybody can you know look out for the name Bo Conroy on a list and we didn't the passport land two days later so the power of the opinion line, Bo's Con- Bo Conroy's passport is on its way to Australia as we speak. Do you know, don't ever say we can't do stuff, lads. 0818 96 96 96. Now, it is the greatest toy ever placed into the hands of a small child or a big child, for that matter. I remember having huge bags and boxes of Lego and it's still out there and still being played with. Now, it's all changed. It's all changed, but it's still a great toy. Georgina Deneen, tell me about Kean. Good morning. Hello, how are you? Good. How long is he collecting Lego? So, Kean got his first box of Lego on his fourth birthday. Now, Kean didn't know what Lego was, but he was gifted this box, and he looked at it for days, and he was looking at me, and I was like, come on, we'll open it. And... It took a while for him to kind of get the knack of it because he was only four. Yeah. But, like, very, very shortly after that, like, he was building sets, like, 16 plus, 17, 18 plus. He just had a knack for it, you know. He just eats, breathes, sleeps Lego, you know. He's Mm. completely and utterly just, like, besotted with the stuff, you know. Yeah, he's 12 12 uh, now. And uh, how many kits has he got? Oh, my God. Well, it's it's actually funny you mentioned it because a few years ago he was on with Nick Richards, you know, doing the junior yeah. forecaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nick said to him, he said, Keen, 
how many boxes? And he goes, I think I might have a hundred boxes. <laughs> and that was when he was about six. But sure, he he didn't know. He just had a big stash, you know. Yeah. But um, God, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you, PJ. Um, I, I just, uh, four four months ago, myself and Kian moved to Ballymacira down in Ballyvorney, you know. Yeah. Um, because I married a lovely local chap from here in July. And when we moved into the house, we were just haunted that the attic was converted. So now that has become Keane's Lego city. So he has, he has all like the modular buildings with the train running around and it's all lit up with LED lights. And um, he has some, yeah, he has some kind of collection going on up there. All right. And, And it's getting attention. It's getting noticed. It is. It was, you know, it was what happened was back in November, um, the Lego Shows Ireland were showcasing up in Silver Springs. So myself and Podrick and Keen went to it and Keen was just like, wow, this place is brilliant. It had speed build competitions. It had exhibitors, it had vendors. And shortly after that, um, they put on their Facebook page, you know, where you were a budding enthusiast. Would you like to show us your collection? So we took pictures and we sent it off to them and they got back and they said, like, they couldn't believe the collection that he had acquired over the last eight years. Mm. So they invited him this summer to travel with them to different venues around Ireland yeah. to showcase to showcase what he has acquired over the years, you know. Yeah, so he is going with them now the first one is on in March in Clonmel right. and then it's on in Waterford it's on in Limerick but the one that's in Cork is on the 2nd and 3rd of April in the International right. Hotel at the airport Right. so yeah it's a great day out for the family it's all speed build competitions there's vendors Keen will be there with his signing autographs <laughs> with his big table oh, of all fantastic. his bits and bobs yeah. Yeah. how good is he at the speed building do you know he he was he was very good now right that day, um and he won it for his own category of his own age but it went on for two days and there w- there was somebody better than him out there <laughs> and uh, they won at the end but sure it didn't stop him anyway he's he's still tipping away up up in the attic that's, you know that's that's fantastic and and coming to yeah. the attention of the the Lego people there might be yeah. a career in this for him. Oh, but that's all he's talking about is going um, seven, when he was seven years old, um, I took him to the headquarters of of Lego in Denmark, you know, um, as our family holiday for the year. And he keeps saying, one day I'll be back here, mom, but I won't be a child and a visitor. I'll be working here, designing and creating and making. And that's all he's aiming for now, you know, and... And Georgina, it's who, gas actually. You mentioned yeah. the first box of Lego when he was four and he he barely knew what to do with it. Who gave it to him? Yeah. Um, actually, it was his cousin, but you see, she had um, only a daughter, so she never bought a present for a boy before, you know, mm. and she's since passed. Oh. But if she could only see now what oh. he's acquired from that one box, you know. Crikey. It's a lovely yeah. story. It's a really lovely story. And, and uh, we wish him well. Because I, as I said when I was introducing I mean, and Lego's changed completely. Because when I was doing Lego as a kid, it was just random blocks and boxes and things and boards. Now yeah. it's all projects and patterns and and all different. Oh, that's it. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's just the best toy of all time. 
like he's he's come up now with his own idea, but he has to wait until he's 13 before he can submit it to Lego. Um, once then, if they like it and yeah. it gets enough votes, I think he has to acquire like 10,000 votes or something right. before it can go into production. He'll get a percentage of the sales. But what he has created is Irish right. and it's very well known in Ireland. So I'm sure it's a set that will take off. Oh. If it has enough support, you know, but he has to wait until he's 13, which is in May, so not too far to go. Oh, we have to keep in touch with this, Georgina. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you my know, God. he has. So there's a mock of what he's produced um, upstairs. So we're just waiting for the time now to tick by before we can send it to Lego. Um, but it's Irish, it hasn't been done before. And he's excited because it's very famous here now. tell me what it is <laughs> it's great oh I know but I've been sworn to secrecy you know <laughs> I think I think this is brilliant we will hopefully talk again later in the year Georgina yeah. because I'd love to know first of all what this is about and I'd love to talk to himself about it someday oh well come here. he was allergic going to school this morning because he was like what but but it's 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 my it's my stuff that they're talking about, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. But um, I I said, what do you want me to tell them? And he said, if they if they want to know more, he's on TikTok, and I think it's the Irish Brick Boy. The Irish is, Brick Boy. Um, TikTok, TikTok. I tell you, he he'll he'll buy and sell us yeah. all, Georgina. He'll oh, buy and come sell here. Us all. <laughs> yeah, but any anyone is welcome into the attic. But um, he he he's given me strict rules. You see, because Kian at the moment he's an only child, and I'm expecting the second baby now in in May. So oh. he'll be 13 when this baby is born. Oh, crazy! And that's the You've only got one person. busy month of May here. I know, and he told me he said the only person that's not allowed into the attic is the new baby. And I said, Kian, by the by the time the baby can walk and talk, you'll have a girlfriend and a car. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Do you know? Well, Georgina, listen, it's a fantastic, lovely, bright story for a Monday. And thank you so much. And wish him well. And tell him I want to see that collection sometime. Georgina Deneen, mom to Kean, an avid Lego collector, and waiting until he's 13 to submit his first project to Lego. Wow. I love that story. What is donut? Economics. It's a strange term. You may not have heard it. Um, but President Higgins is into donut economics. David Attenborough is into donut economics. The Pope is into donut economics. And there's a group in West Cork looking into doing it down there. Uh, Mose Jacobs joins me. Mose, good morning. Good morning. How what? are you today? I'm very well, thank you. What okay. is donut economics? Okay, before I try to explain that, uh, there is also a, um, a national Irish donut economics group called IDEN. Okay. But we are in West Cork and uh, we've set up a network. Uh, donuts, it's nothing to do with the taste of the donut, which some people like and other don't, but <laughs> it's to do with the shape of the donut because it's um, a system or a method, a set of tools, the in, devised by a, a an English economist, Kate Rowbert, mm-hmm. uh, and that it aims to uh, find uh, an, econ- an economic model that is not sort of aimed at eternal growth and eternal growth of uh, and eternal prices, and, but it's aimed. It wants to um, uh, stimulate local economies to find a an economic uh, model that is 
helps people thrive. Okay. It, that's that's the, the main intention. Of, you know, people look at what makes them thrive. What do they want in their direct environment? But at the same time, it looks at how uh, does affect what we do here, the rest of the planet, because we're increasingly realizing that we're all interconnected. And, that you know, if we eat, you know, use palm oil here, which uh, helps to slush down rainforest elsewhere, we're all going to lose out in the end. I see. So effectively what it puts aside is the notion that our natural resources are free, that there's a cost yes. to using them. Yes, because that was always the, the the misconception about economics, that you could just endlessly use a, a nature and endlessly use uh, resources, but the resources are not endless, and we know that now at our cost. And at the same time, what is really important is equality. And that is even something that... Uh, capitalists um, subscribe to that if you have too much equality you have sort of the whole the whole society goes out of kilter so it, it's very much focused on community and on local community and um, there is a uh, there are groups all around the world and there is a, a deal a donut economic action lab which is devising tools to aid the to help the groups um, mm. engage with their local community and is this that any profits generated or success created under a donut economic model is fed back in, as it were, into where deficits are? Well, I mean, it, it hasn't gone that far. It's not sort of a, a total, totally, uh, I'm not sure if there wouldn't be any profits. I'm not sure if that that's how it works. That is actually for people themselves to decide yeah. in collaboration. And you can't just change everything, but you can start by sort of looking at, you know, how, how can you um, do business without um, damaging nature and while serving the community. That's one of the reasons why I was very attracted to Donut Economics. There's a book, I read it, yeah. uh, Seven Ways to um, behave, to Act Like a 21st Century Economist. And it also talks about how businesses might be persuaded, and some are already doing it, there is responsible capitalist businesses, to um, have a mission statement that says they want to serve their community and they do not want to damage nature. And if if you take that seriously, then you have to change the way you do business. Okay. But it doesn't mean that I we that anyone can say, oh, you're not making profit or you're doing this with your profit or not. I mean, that's a, that's a whole discussion. I got you. I got you. So tell me about your group in, in West Cork and, and the AIMS. Well... We aim to be like an overall organization that sort of supports and connects local groups that are active. I mean, there's there's, uh, local groups I'm talking about, for example, sustainable energy communities, which are uh, or nature groups or uh, we have been talking to um, a creative mental health space in Skibbereen just now, how that we can sort of support them and bring them into contact with other groups and sort of uh, help them look at their own organization through the lenses of the of donut economics because that's the sort of method you look at what you're doing and right now and you look at how that would for example affect um, nature or the environment your community uh, communities okay. elsewhere and see where you want to go with that so literally when you're setting up a business you yeah. take account of everything that you use in that business from an ecological and planetary point of view, is yes. that right? That's the ideal, and that's also maybe the ideal for households, but obviously we can't get there in one step. 
because uh, you know any any product we use or not any product we use, but a lot of them are so uh, globalized. That you know that, that's one of the things we want to focus on as well to see how the products that we use how they uh, connect to the rest of the world. Mm. I, I think is there, is there an orchard has been planted in Skibbereen as part of this. Uh, no, well, you can't say it has been planted as part of this. There is, there is a community orchard in Skibbereen, but that has been going for a long time. Um, we haven't, we are not going to start an or- orchard, but if there is a community orchard or there is, if there is a, a tree planting or, or there is, there are other groups, there's a sustainable en- energy community, we, we will, um, we're, so we're sort of part of that, but we're like in a group of, of individuals part in all sorts of yeah. sustainable activities and we just see how we can further that and make make it uh, make it work better and also connect with like yeah. hopefully you know the council yeah. and yes. authorities tell me a little bit about yourself Mose. you're dutch <laughs> and I am. you came to live in clannacilty when well in 1997 uh so i've been here a long time and i'm sort of a hybrid now well, I, I, what, I what, it, what attracted you to us what what a tragedy to you? What, what attracted you to to oh, West Cork? What attracted you to us? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in the article it says I read the book and I cried, but I I just um, I think Ireland is a really beautiful and country and a fantastic landscape and really nice people and um, 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 even a mythical country. But on the other hand, of course, it's also a country. You know, people around the world have are sort of dealing with the same problems. I think. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting. I mean, I've I've heard um, David Attenborough talking about the the cost of everything. That like, I mean, you know, the man is ninety. Was it ninety six now? And he'd gone back over his career and looking at the things that he was highlighting thirty and forty years ago. Yeah, that we can't. We like you, and we're now paying the price of warnings that were ignored that he was talking about forty years ago. Yes. Yes, I mean that that is that is true. I mean, but I think the the worse it gets, the more that there is a need for a solution and then we will find it. That's that I mean that I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that for our, all our stakes that you know, when the pressure is there when it becomes really clear that because we we geared to survive, that's our our our, our main interest. Yes. <laughs> so when it becomes clearer to most people that it action needs to be taken to to change things it won't be so difficult okay. it's not so difficult to change an economy because in reality i mean as individuals yeah some of us may have shares or whatever but a lot of us are not connected to the financial markets at all we are only connected to the products that we use and the services that we buy gotcha gotcha Moles, listen good to talk to you and um, where yes. can people find out more can they look up your your movement on- yeah well we have a launch on the 24th of february on zoom uh, there is a, an article by Mary Rose McCarthy in the Evening Echo a couple of days ago. Uh, West Cork Donut Economy Network. West Cork Donut at gmail dot com. They can write, and we can invite them to our Zoom meeting. And we also have a Facebook page. Excellent. All right, Moles. Good talking to you, Moles Jacobs, uh, on the donut economy. It's 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 to listen to Attenborough talking about stuff that he was warning about 20 and 30 years ago that is now a reality. And the one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't say, I told you so. 
He just says we need to stop, but we need to take account of what we're at quickly because uh, it won't we won't we won't, get, we won't get a second chance to do it to do what we could do now. It's all interesting, right? Got this from um, um, someone sent a message into us last week. We're talking about cams and the whole debacle at cams in South Kerry and the fact that the Taoiseach has now instructed that there be a review across the country of what has been happening at CAMS. We got this message. I'm a service user in CAMS. I'm very reliant on the service. GPs need to be brought into this discussion. The need to advocate for their patients who attend or are desperately trying to access some service from CAMS. Follow-up care is either given or not given. Why aren't HICWA called in to look into care given to all children attending or trying to access a service. My first appointment with CAMS with a child who was in a manic state was go home and get back to your routine. This was my introduction to mental health services. Thankfully, we're in a better place today, but our road to here has been extremely difficult for us as a family. Even going back over it and trying to analyse what we've been through makes me feel like throwing up and even trying to recall details of it are utterly bizarre. It's not believable, but this has been our treatment path with CAMS. I had a very sick child who almost had a very sick parent trying to support them. CAMS didn't help me for years. Hopefully an audit won't add another great excuse to stall and divert care. Uh, The service users and people to access services need these services. Thank you for highlighting this sensitive issue. Thank you for sending in such a detailed message. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96 FM. So I start at the top of the programme today when everything went crashing down around me. I said we would be talking about the phrase Kong Hei Fat Choi, which is Happy Chinese New Year. Eric, the ver- I must say that to you. Kong Hei Fat Choi, and welcome to the Opinion Line. Good morning. Oh, good morning, PJ. Uh, many happy returns to you. <laughs> good to speak with you. The Chinese New Year of the Tiger. How do people celebrate it? Normally, like uh, we just gathering. Today is a New Year Eve, and we just gathering. We reunion with the family and friends. Just have a proper meal and some drinks. <laughs> yeah. What 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 do your family do to celebrate? You dinner, yeah. Yeah. In over Asia, it's dinner time, so most people are having the dinner now. Right. And then over here, yeah, we just go back to the restaurant and have a meal together with all the staff and staff friends. What kind of traditional dishes would be part of that dinner? In the part of the dinner, like a fish is the most important. Chicken, because the fish is stem. The sound stems like balance. You have something left over from last year your money, everything left over to this year. Right. And the chicken is like a sounds similar in the Chinese. It's called opportunity. You have opportunity. Sure. And then, yeah, all the, and prawns, like a prawns is like a laugh, yeah. like a, the sounds, sounds like a laughing, yeah. all the good happiness. And then, 
like a tofu, fu is like a fortune, rich. Same pronoun. We, we just looking something, same uh, close pronunciation to make a good luck. Yeah. Your, the restaurant is in Princess Street. Wang, I, I can never pronounce it properly. Yuan Ming Yuan, correct? Yes, brilliant. You did it. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have, do you have specialties in there for the, for the occasion? Yeah, we do the special menu from running from yesterday until 2nd of February. Very good. The menu. Very so, good. Hope you can come to try. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. We do about nine dishes. Yeah. Well, you have a good celebration with your family and your friends. And uh, yeah. Take care. Good, good to speak with you, Eric, uh, manager of that wonderful restaurant in Princess Street, Wan Ming Wan. And Gong, if you if you know anybody uh, Chinese today, if you even nipping down to your local Chinese nosh for a takeaway tonight, Kong Hei Fat Choi is what you say to them. It's Happy Chinese New Year, the Year of the Tiger. They they do their New Year. In, in, along with the moon, the lun, lunar new year, and it's a different animal every year. But this is the year of the tiger. Happy Chinese New Year to everyone in Cork uh, of Asian extraction, because they they celebrate with their families tonight, just like we did at our New Year and our Christmas. They'll celebrate with their families uh, tonight. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The 300,000 Steps Challenge for Cope Foundation gets underway on Tuesday the 1st of February. The aim is to walk over 10,000 steps every day throughout the month and help raise vital funds for the Cope Foundation. For all the details and how to donate, visit cope-foundation.ie and all funds raised will go towards empowering people with intellectual disabilities and or autism across Cork City and County. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie Cork's 96fm Just mentioned passports. I mentioned Niall Conroy's little boy, Bo. They got their passports. It got confirmed literally the day after he was talking to me on the show last week and they've been waiting for, for months for it. So is claiming a small victory for the opinion line and thank you very much Niall for that but Kate was on to say uh, I sent my application in from the post office on Saturday it's been delivered to me today this was last last week very fast turnaround and I had a name change on mine there's so many different versions of that story going around as in how long it takes to get a passport a new passport for a baby or a young person can take many, many months. Uh, a, a change of an existing passport electronically, like as in online, you can have it in a couple of days. I see where someone is calling for the passport offices to open seven days and for the use of a printing press in Cork. Well, to the best of my knowledge, and I am open to correction on this, but I seem to remember that there is a uh, printing press in the cash in the passport office in Cork I seem to remember that but they only ever use it for emergencies so maybe they could just kick it into gear now for seven days a week and get the thing held up because you know what's going to happen don't you we'll be sitting here in May and in 
June and people who applied for passports won't be able to get their passports for their holidays. And they'll be saying, I sent it in in good time and all this kind of thing. The best thing to do is if you need a new passport for holidays this summer, you need to start getting that application in now because it's going to take a long time if things keep panning out the way that they are continuing to pan out. We might come back to it during the week. I know we did it before and we had loads of people telling us how long it was taking them to get their passports. Some people were waiting three and four months for their passports. And then other people were saying, oh, I got mine in two to three days. So let me know how you're doing with passports because there is a a long delay in some sections. And we'll, we'll come back to it during the course of the week. Also, and I've no doubt this will come up on the show tomorrow... Tomorrow there's a big change in parking charges and you need to be aware of this. Uh, it's parking charges for Paul Street are coming in from next from tomorrow February 1st. That's what we were talking about that on Friday. That's where the cost is going up by about 50 cents an hour in each place. But there's something else happening tomorrow that you need to be aware of too. Tomorrow if you park on a footpath on a cycle lane or in a bus lane from tomorrow, the charge for the ticket is 80 quid. 80 quid from tomorrow is what your your ticket will cost you. Your parking ticket will cost you if you get ticketed in a bus lane, a cycle lane, or on a footpath. As they say, you have been warned. I've no doubt it'll come up again during the week. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. We shall see you tomorrow just after nine. up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.